Okay, guys. And uh, with everybody's permission, we're recording for Fox 5, uh, Street Soldiers, Hot 97, and also Fox Soul, as well as their multiple digital streaming platforms. I have everybody's permission for all that. Yes. Yes. No. yes. All right. Keep the lawyers happy. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on social media influence. Have influencers gone too far? We all heard about what happened at Union Square recently with Kai Sinet, and thousands of people showed up. But on the other hand, there's social media influencers with millions of followers, and they can't even sell a product or get a crowd to show up or get people to fill an auditorium or a stadium. So we really wanted to take a look at social media, the role overall that it's playing in our lives, because even if you're not actively on it, you are involved in it in some way, either through purchasing, through commerce, through social life, through organizations, through activities, through business, all of these types of things. So we're going to break this all down and try to understand why a guy that a lot of people in the mainstream media and over 21 had never heard of before could draw such a huge crowd to Union Square in such a short amount of time. So joining us for this conversation is Asia Grace. She's a New York Post reporter specializing in entertainment and lifestyle. Asia, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Dr. Marcus Collins. He's a marketing professor at the University of Michigan. And may we call you Marcus or Dr. Marcus? Yeah, Marcus is good. Thanks. Marcus. All right, Marcus. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us is Dr. Randy Sconyers. You know him on Instagram as Dr. S. He's a therapist, licensed therapist, and also the founder of Mental Hop, using hip hop to try and improve the mental health particularly of boys and young men. Uh, Dr. Randy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. We, we really appreciate it. Asia, when you first heard about what was going on in Union Square, what was your reaction? Honestly, I wasn't surprised. I mean, Kai C. Net to the Gen Z boy is what Diet Cola was to moms in the 90s, okay? Like, they love him. They He is literally their world. He's their Beyonce, hence the swarm of thousands who descended upon Union Square Park. I mean... This guy is a 21-year-old guy from the Bronx. He's amassed a followership of over 20 mil, 24 million people across all his uh, popular social media platforms. So him saying, hey, I'm going to be somewhere and I'm giving away free merch, like people are going to pull up. I mean, he was offering PCs and microphones and uh, uh, PlayStation. So I was not shocked at all that thousands of kids just ran out there wanting a moment with this guy who's had such an impact in such a little bit of time since 2021 he's taken off and he's had a number of viral videos on gaming skits um he's had a, a lot of interviews with major steppers in hip-hop including nle chopper ice spice little uzi vert so it was not a shock to me at all but it was a really rough scene to watch no it was uh we were i was there it was it was pretty interesting and and also too like a lot of the like the vast majority of the crowd to me it was you know because i've seen i'm always at a lot of different mass events a lot of the people that a lot of the people were there of course it was boys and young men but a lot of them were high school students or middle school students so there was friday afternoon in the summer no school hot day like you said free merch What's not to uh, want to, you know, hop the train and get out there or jump the train and get there? Marcus, were you surprised by the the, the huge turnout that this was? Not surprised by the turnout, uh, disappointed in the outcomes, but not surprised because Lisa, you, 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 you put together the math very, very clearly. The calculus was very clear. All the conditions set for what was going to be 
uh, a, a, an uproar, right? And the, the literature often refers to our perception of forest fires that we think that, oh, it's just a massive uh, flame happens and it spreads across the entire forest. That's how it works. It's actually when the conditions are just right, you get uh, you get a, a, a massive combustion, i.e. the there's a lot of debris on the ground, the the wind is blowing, the air is dry, and there's a lot of closeness between trees. The smallest spark can start said outcome, and this is what happens here. Kai has great influence for sure with a, with a with a, a large group of people, but it was the network effect among those people that brought what well, we started with a few hundred to thousands, and the environment in which it happened, like construction site left for a lot of material that could be used for destruction. Not only that, to your point, it's the summertime in New York, it's a Friday, it's turn up. All of these different conditions create for what unfortunately becomes an, uh, a, a disastrous scenario. Um, so was I surprised? No, this is what happens in crowds. When the conditions are perfect, you get perfect destruction. Right. And then there's always going to be a small, I mean, my experience has always been, whether it's protests, whether it's something like this, there's always going to be a small element. As soon as they see a crowd, they use that crowd as kind of cover to do whatever they want to do anyway, whether it's, you know, it's shooting off firecrackers, picking up construction debris and throwing it at the police or at the, the other people that had, had turned out there. Um, Randy, Dr. S, when you were, when you heard about this, what is this phenomenon? Like what, what in somebody like a Kai Sanat and still such passion, especially with, with boys and young men. Yes, first of all, let's make sure we're clear. It's not all youth, just like you said. So there's usually a handful of people. And I think what Kai Sanat is, these young men see themselves in him. They are him, essentially. This is a kid from the Bronx who made it big. And here's their opportunity to meet what would be their sort of hero or their opportunity to to reach where he's at. So he he makes the call, everybody comes out, and before you know it, the cameras are out, and this is our opportunity because that's what Kai Sanat does. He's an influencer. He uses his character, he uses his uh, personality to attract the masses. So now here's my opportunity as a young man for all those cameras to come out. Young ladies as well, all the youth that were out there, you saw the cameras happening as well. So is an opportunity for my viral moment as well. So it's just the, the psyche of, of young people. You know, I want to see be seen. I need to be heard. This is what goes on at, at, at the stages of adolescence. So, of course, we should not be surprised that this young man has this level of impact and influence on young people um, at this time. And we saw that clearly by all the masses that came out um, when he put that call to action out, so to speak. A call to action, it was for sure. We're going to continue with our conversation on social media influencers. Has their power gone too far? Or what is really happening here that we need to understand? We'll talk about that with our panel when we come back. Stay with us. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on social media influence. Has the influence influencer's power gone too far? That's what we're talking about with our panel. Joining me is Asia Grace. She's a New York Post reporter um, covering entertainment and lifestyle. Also with us is Dr. Marcus Collins. He's a marketing professor at the University of Michigan. And Dr. Randy Sconyers, known as Dr. SI Instagram. He's a licensed uh, clinical therapist and works with a lot of young people and also the founder of Mental Hop 
using hip hop to promote mental health. Thank you all so much uh, for being with us. Asia, when you look at the different groups of social media influencers, there's a lot of people that do all kinds of extraordinary things and hire very expensive consultants to try to even reach that million mark. How do you think Kai Sinat did that? I think Kai kind of, you know, broke the code here. He literally took himself videos of himself, his live streams, uh, playing video games and talking with his friends and making jokes and talking about women. And he took that to the next level. And the reason why so many young men and women, Gen Z's are attracted to that is because that's literally their, their goal. That's their dream. I mean, what boy wouldn't want to make millions and have you know, fans around the world and have relationships with rappers and, and Instagram models all from playing video games and talking spicy online. And I think that because he really speaks to that desire that's in so many young kids now, because influencer, that's the job everyone wants to have. It's the job that allows you to make your own hours, allows you to be, you know, a superstar online and get you into new and, and fun places that maybe a nine to five wouldn't that didn't for your siblings or your parents or whomever. So he really is the goal. And um, a lot of kids want to be that. And to Dr. S's point previously, the some of the antics that they were displaying that day, they, they were trying to also have a, a viral moment. So that way yeah. your eyes could be on them. Exactly. Uh, Marcus, is this a shift though, in, in terms of what people want career-wise? Because a lot of people don't understand, you know, you have influencers who are don't have anywhere near that many followers and they're making a very comfortable seventy-five to $100,000 a year, rarely leaving their apartment or their house. Well, this is what technology does. It extends human behavior. It extends what is possible. This job didn't exist 30 years ago because the technology wasn't as such that it became haveable. And we start seeing people who look like me, who are reflective of my cultural subscription, are able to pursue these, these career ambitions, it becomes desirable. You go, hey, that that person is from my community. That person looks like me. He, he, what he does is what I do on a regular basis. And he's able to make a career out of that. G give me that all day long. Um, you know, in, in many cases, we saw that through sports. In many cases, we saw that through music. And you get a similar sort of dopamine hit from that. Not only are, do you get the financial reward from being the influencer in, in the colloquial term in which we use it today, uh, but you also get notoriety, you get visibility, you 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 get shine, you get clout. I mean, these things are these things are desirable for all of us, right? We're we're all uh, compelled by having not only economic currency but also cultural and social currency, and a career that provides that in a way that I do what I do well. The hundred, the, the ten thousand hours that I put into being a good gamer, I can make money off of that. Not just be you know uh, addicted to Mario Brothers like I was as a kid. They're like, give me that all day long. Who wouldn't want to do that? Right. Uh, the technologies has enabled that uh, for, for kids by and large and adults as well. Randy, in terms of the, the you talk about uh, the, the young men, especially, they could see themselves in him and the fact that he's coming from the Bronx. He's not coming from, you know, Beverly Hills or or some super affluent community. How important is that to to these boys and young men, especially? It's so important. You're thinking about what happens at this stage of trying to find who you are. And now you have a, a young man who has done the same things you do on a regular basis. Play video games, try to listen to hip hop. As we celebrate the 50th year of hip hop culture, 
we have to talk about Kai Sadat is in that space. And he's talking to rappers. He's he's listening to music. He's reviewing music. And now here you are. You're seeing that same energy into the streets. When he makes that call, the kids are coming out like, this is my opportunity. I think this is a, a bigger picture here because do we have enough spaces where kids can be seen and be heard? When you have to go to the extreme to try to get attention, this could be a, a, a example of other things that could be really going on in our young people that we really need to pay attention to. And Kai Sanat is right there. When he's able to get that those kids to come out in those types of numbers, we really have to pay attention to his influence and how we can sort of utilize that to really make the changes we want to see in our young people. And I think we saw that when we talked, when we could see his response. There was a lot of remorse in what he said. Um, if he was able to do it again, he would do it differently for sure. Exactly. And Marcus, you were talking about this show's networks, like how networks work. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, this is the the network effect that it's not just Kai Sinet's influence on his people. It's his people's influence on on their people. Right. Like we are social animals by nature, as Aristotle would argue. Right. We're given to be in community. We're given to be in groups. And when we observe the behavior of people like ourselves, we tend to act in concert in an effort to promote social solidarity. So if Dr. S is my guy, he is my guy, and he's going to do a particular thing, and I go, I guess this is what we're going to do. Right? Culture moves forward on the basis of one simple question. Do people like me do something like this? The answer is yes, I do. If the answer is no, we don't. We made the decision hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. So observing Kai Sinat do his thing, we feel like, hey, he's like me, and therefore he has influence on me. Then the influence that I have on my people begins to reverberate and their influence on other people, which starts with a couple hundred people, balloons very quickly to thousands, which is exactly what we saw. And that's a powerful thing, not only uh, to Dr. S's point, not only from a consumption perspective, but from a societal perspective as well. That if we can normalize what's acceptable behavior, people like us that are more inclined to what we aspire to as a community, as a society, then we'll start seeing not only the commercial impact of influence or influencers, but also in our daily lives as well, which I think is Le super powerful. Lisa, can I add on to that? So Dr. Co uh, Collins is absolutely right. If I'm sitting around with my boys and one of us says, yo, you're going to that, that Kai Sinat um, event. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. And somebody else is like, yeah, I'm going to go too. Well, let's hit up so-and-so. Let's hit up so-and-so. And before you know it, not only his influence, but the influence young people have on each other. That's so powerful. That's why you saw all those kids out there because the call went out from him and then the call went out amongst these these small subgroups. And before you know it, New York City, uh, you know, they took it over. It, it, it was lit for sure, Union Square. Asia, what about women? Because there, there were some there were some girls and some young women in the crowd there. It was mo it was it was mostly guys. Talk to us about the the influence or effect with women, especially you know, we've always heard a lot about body image, about celebrities trying to sell stuff. Some work, some don't. Is it a different effect on women? Do you think the influence or effect? I think that women also, young girls, they want to be seen. They want to have their moment. And we saw in Union Square Park, there were women there amongst the the crowd of boys. Some were climbing up on, you know, poles, uh, street lights, and twerking with football lodge between their butt cheeks. I mean, again, everybody wants that viral moment. Everybody wants to be seen. And um, the same goes for young women. And even when when Kai made the call to action saying he was going to host this event that fateful Friday, he 
in that Twitch video kind of alluded like, hey, I might even have Ice Spice come. I might, you know, these, these people might pull up more girls, more more guys. So girls want to be, you know, front and center. They definitely want to be close to uh, a name like an Ice Spice. They want to be seen as, you know, the sexy twerker. Not every girl, obviously, but a number of young women, uh, especially those that came out that night, they definitely have a an agenda. And to both a gentleman's points, we all do to a certain extent, even when it comes to uh, some of the kids dancing on those cars. We've seen videos of Kai Sinet and rappers dancing on cars. So it's just all we're all under this, you know, we're un under the influence of the influencer, whether we like it or not. Under under the influence. OK, I like that. I like that as a title, too. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue with our panel talking about social media influence. Have have influencers have the power of influencers. Has the power gone too far? That's when we come back. Stay with us. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You did. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about social media influence. Has it gone too far? Have the influencers gone too far? We're discussing this with our panel. Joining me, Asia Grace. She's a New York Post reporter specializing in entertainment and lifestyle. Also with us is Dr. Marcus Collins. He's a marketing professor at the University of Michigan. Also joining us, Dr. Randy Sconyers, known as Dr. S on Instagram. He's a licensed clinical therapist and works with a lot of young people. Started the uh, project called Mental Hop to use hip hop to improve mental health. Thank you all so much uh, for, for being with us. Uh, Marcus, in, in, in terms of marketing, We've seen some spectacular failures with social media platforms that try to reach certain groups, they get all the money, they get the top talent, and then they just, they flop and they don't catch on. Other ones catch on very fast and then, you know, become controversial. There's different fads. There, some of them are changing their names now. Yeah. What do you think, are, what determines which platform that somebody is going to use? Us. We determine it. People. Because what is social media? By definition, it's the media of people. Social is people, social justice, social action, social work, social networks. It's all about people. And the technologies that we use help propagate the media of people. Instead of reading on, tele seeing on television or reading a newspaper, I heard it from Asia and Asia my homegirl, and therefore I'm more inclined to do it. And I think this is the important part for marketers is that people trust people more than any form of marketing communication more than print, television, radio. In fact, we trust strangers more than we trust marketers, which would be super sobering for marketers, right? We trust Sexy Lover 24 from Denver on Amazon more than we trust the brand from which we might be buying their product. And what these technologies have done have created the town square of sorts of my people that I'm able to observe the behavior of people like me and they become votes that, that dictate what is acceptable behavior for us. And as a result, we move. So when we think about the social networking, or the social media campaigns that have gone live, some that worked and some that didn't, most of the time, by and large, is driven by what we, the people, the culture, the community decide what's acceptable. And then to Dr. S's earlier point, I then go tell my friend and he go tell his friend and they go tell their friend. And the daisy chain of influence, what we know as the network effect, gets us to collectively come together in mass. Asia, are we in kind of an anti-celebrity celebrity world right now? Where it's I, 
I mean, I think we're in a, everyone's a celebrity world right now. Anyone can literally build an account, build a following on any platform. If you um, have a lot to say and you are a good writer, you can be a Twitter star. If you're really pretty and you can take nice pictures and you know, you're in all these exotic places, you can be an Instagram star. If you're really witty or you have some fun skits or a family dynamic or something really kitschy and catchy, you could be a TikTok star, YouTube star, you know, so anybody and everybody can be something. And I think that that's really what's driving the bus behind this influencer movement is that we all have the potential to be a Kai Sinet. We all have a potential to be an Addison Ray. And what am I not doing to get there? Well, I'm going to do everything to get there. So I'm going to do the most outrageous thing. I'm going to eat, say, like, you know, wear the most crazy out of the po- out of pocket thing in order to get those eyes on me. And um, that can be dangerous. We've seen a number of instances where people doing these extreme things for that social media clout have, it's gone, things have gone very wrong. And similarly with this Kai Sinet moment, things have gone very wrong. What about the, Randy, uh, what about the influence on people's mental health? Because in the one, on the one hand, you can look at like Kai Sinet and say, okay, here's this guy from the Bronx, young guy. He's, you know, he's didn't have anything handed to him for sure. And he's built this whole career. He's built this following. He's kind of got, is is he like the message of the su- success story? Like if you put in the work, if you do it, because there is work involved. It's not just, uh, you know, going and collecting the, playing a game or whatever. There's a lot of work that goes into it too. Is that is that a good role model for success or does it invite comparisons that can be, you know, tough for people that are a little bit fragile to to handle? That's a great point, Lisa. Look, Kai Sinat, Kai Sinat shoots content from his basement. And in his house, think about most of our kids who want to play video games. They see that and there's a great opportunity there. He has mastered what I say is engagement, the level of engagement, trust, authenticity, being real to these young people. So, of course, to them, they see him as the ultimate person to follow and to look up to coming from where we come from and being able to um, ascend to that level. Absolutely. But like you said. Not everybody has the mental and emotional intelligence to be able to handle all that information, all that data, all that content that's downloaded on a regular basis from him. So as a result of that, especially during adolescent stages where decision making, judgment, all those things come into play, we see a lot of fragility. We see a lot of young people engaging in behaviors and things that are extremely detrimental to them because what comes with this level of influence has to be a level of responsibility as well. And sadly and unfortunately, all our young people aren't ready for that. They're dealing with things on a regular basis, um, Lisa, that they have to deal with back in their communities. So you have that coupled with that level of power and influence and desire, you see that could be an opportunity for people. The cameras are out, but um, obviously we can see things could go extremely bad really quickly. You know, I, I think that I, I love that because I think what it's saying is that the technology cuts both ways. In right. one way, it provides all this upside to reach more people, to get your product in the hands of more people, people to see your content, to to benefit from the galvanizing force of influence. But there also has the, the negative uh, uh, consequences of that as well, that the things that are exacerbated from a good side are also exacerbated from a negative side. Right. Like, I mean, look, before there was social media networking platforms, 
like social media was sharpening your pencil in, in school, like getting up to go sharpen your pencil to show off my J's or to look cool. <laughs> and, and we've always been curating ourselves in that way. There's identity projects that we undergo in an effort, strategies in an effort to demarcate who we are and how we fit into society. These technologies, while they have great benefit, they also come with great ramifications as well that become very, very difficult to negotiate and navigate when you don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex like a young person, biologically speaking, disposition aside, just how they're wired. Therefore, there requires us as a society to have much more discourse about how we regulate these technologies and also how we ensure that we're creating safety nets for young people to experience the benefit, but also mitigate the the, the, the consequences. The, the possible possible downfall. Asia, what about what about the impact on women? Because it's it's like there's been so much. There's so much with comparisons. There's all this talk about you know AI doctored photos and videos and and that type of thing. There's also a lot more open sexuality in terms of what's shown in very young women on on social media compared to what we would see on broadcast TV or in in other. Uh, of the traditional traditional media media formats, where do you see it affecting women? Like, what do you see going on there, especially the girls? Well, I actually did some undercover work. I re- did some reporting where I pretended to be a 14-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl on social media. I did not do it to convince a human that I was a boy or a girl in, in their teenage years. I did it to convince TikTok algorithm and YouTube's algorithm. And I found that with the boys, um, you were getting a lot of misogynistic, a lot of um, very anti-women content being funneled right to you. I, I only did it for one day. And the videos and the, the the hate speech and the let's kill these women, you know, things like that were just, you know, being sent my way. And it was very scary. So not only are the boys being taught to disrespect women based on the videos that are being sent to them through this, this technology, but then the girls feel that they have to live up to a standard in the same way that I was getting those videos um, about, you know, hating women and taking women down. I was getting videos of, young girls in very, very skimpy shorts dancing for the camera. And I mean, thankfully, I was a human adult that could, you know, move past it. But a 14 year old boy or anyone else could see that. And um, there's all this pressure now for, for these young girls to behave in that way. And, you know, everyone's free to conduct themselves as they see fit. However, we do need to still have a certain consideration for young women, their feelings, how they you know, the pressures they feel to be a certain way, to be overly sexy or to be the one that twerks the hardest or says the roughest thing or drinks out of the bottle the fastest, you know, there's a lot. And that does affect their mental health. There have been a number of women that have self-diagnosed and have, have, you know, developed a lot of other issues and disorders because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses on social media. Can I add something, Lisa, to that? Because that event was extremely traumatic. I don't think we're talking enough about that part of it as well. Yes, the kids came out in, in in huge numbers, but there were a lot of victims there as well. There were a lot of people who were hurt and injured, and, and as a result of that, what are the what is the traumatic impact on their mental health as well? You're talking about a couple of months before we go into a school year. There were young people there who were definitely impacted in many ways as a result of that event. So I think that even though there was apology, there was some remorse. Um, we can't just um, brush under the rug that there were a lot of people and young people there that are going to be um, thinking about that particular event for many, many years to come. Because as we know, mental health isn't just something that just goes away 
so quickly because the event has passed. And that's sort of how things happen in our world. We kind of sort of move on from it. But for a lot of people at that event, it's not going to be so easy to do that. So yeah, oh, you, you, you brought that up. It was it, it, it you know, and I, I I hear a lot of the the police briefings and the the press briefings because I cover a lot a lot of crime. And one of the things that uh, the chief chief of department said, he goes, they had they came out people they came across a uh, people who were you know most most of the younger ones they were having like panic attacks. They were just like having these full blown panic attacks in the middle of this crowd. And and I'm glad you brought that point up. Um, as well, because there and of the ones that were arrested or charged, they were about half of them were under seventeen. So they're, they're getting a few right there. But we're going to continue talking about this. Uh, so social media is social media determining determining what kind of a society we have. We'll find out what our guests have to say when we come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith and Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to the Minnesota Street Soldiers on social media influencers. Has their power become too great? Have they gone too far? That's what we're talking about with our panel. Joining me is Asia Grace. She's a New York Post reporter um, specializing in entertainment and lifestyle. Uh, stories and issues. Also with us is Dr. Marcus Collins. He's a marketing professor at the University of Michigan. And Dr. Randy Scaniers, aka Dr. S. He's a licensed uh, clinical therapist and also the founder of Mental Hop, which uses hip hop to improve mental health. Thank you all so much uh, for, for being being with us. Asia, is social media changing changing our society? What kind of society we have, our values? 100% um, where we used to be somewhat considerate of, of one another, not to say that that was every person in every group. However, there was a lot of consideration. Now, anyone and every anyone and everyone is doing anything that they want. Um, we recently saw, you know, people taking over Target to shoot content. We see people, you know, licking toilet seats on an airplane. There's no limit to what can happen. Um, so if there was ever a desire for decorum in the society, it's now gone. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there's the, you know, social media, the space is still the, very much so the wild, wild west is fairly new to a lot of people and to Gen Z who's now coming up and kind of taking it over. They're just kind of moving, you know, out of, you know, this kind of impulse. There's no thought. And I don't think it, it, even in Kai's case that he gave a whole lot of thought to what was happening here when he told everyone to come down there. Now, in that video, he did say, like, listen, y'all, you're in New York. I know how y'all get. Y'all can violate. Y'all can get crazy. Y'all can get wild. He at least acknowledged that there could be some, you know, catastrophe attached to this event. However, he still went forward with it um, without making the proper arrangement, having the proper security, police presence. So, um, yeah, things are just kind of going as they will. And then we have to kind of look back and try to figure out some consequences to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because we've seen those, we've seen those stories where people taking pictures at the edge of a cliff, but then they, and then of course the stunts, the things that happen with the stunts and then the other, where they're doing things to other people that, that's that. But um, Marcus, do you feel you're a university professor at a prestigious institution? Do you feel that social media is making us dumber as Americans? No, I think that that's that's uh, that's probably a, a bit of a pejorative. I think that the Asia's point is spot on. That the the technology is allowing us to observe other people, particularly people like us. And as we observe people, make content, weigh in on subject matters, discuss 
things that are happening in, in around us, these exogenous shocks to the system that happens, we're watching our people make meaning of the world. And we're doing it at a clip that is unprecedented. It's very prevalent. It's salient. And I get everything that happens in the world. I can go on to my social networking platform of choice and watch my people make meaning. And as a result, I get to see the receipts of what's acceptable of people like myself. And then therefore, I behave accordingly. So you have this meaning-making apparatus that are happening 24 hours a, a, a day with tons of receipts from people like myself that have great influence on us. And as Dr. S said earlier, that I then also have the, the internal uh, reward mechanism that is social currency to look good, to stunt, which we all are wired to do, by the way. Like call it narcissism. We all want to achieve some sense of social currency so that we can demarcate who we are in the world and where we sit in the social hierarchy. We're wired to do these things. The two of them together make for what would, might be questionable behavior in the moment, depending on who the people are. So we can look at people and say, oh, they stupid. But like our parents have said for generations, if your friend jump off a bridge, you're going to jump too? Yup. <laughs> and I jumped too, just like all of us did. It's in our nature to be influenced by our people. The technology extends that thing, much like the wheels extension of the foot, clothes are extensions of the skin, glasses extensions of the eyes. Social networking platforms are extensions of real life networks. And people who are dumb tend to be friends with people who are dumb and they collectively do dumb things. People who are a bit more acculturated and a bit more, uh, have more intellectual savviness, they tend to make different decisions. It's not about the individual referent. It's about the social group and how they collectively make meaning and behave accordingly. And what, what the social group is, um, doc, Dr. S, in terms of how it shapes a young person's interactions with people in real life. I mean, there's there's people, I'm sure you've all you've all had this, somebody who's like just mouthing off like, like just crazy on social media. And then in person, they're like super shy, and quiet. And you're like, wait a minute, that's the person that was just like the tanner on, uh, you know, in the comments section. Right. Because this gives this gives you an opportunity to be uh, something that you may not really be talking about your self-identity and who you are. I can be extremely confident on these social media platforms. I could be bigger than who I really am because I don't really have to worry about that immediate feedback when I'm right next to somebody. So because of that, you get a lot of impulsive behavior. And you also get a lot of um, lack of consequential thinking, meaning I'm going to do these things and I don't worry about what could happen or what could go wrong later on because in the moment, I'm getting that instant feedback. I'm tough. I, I feel good. And because of that, I'm just going to keep going, going, going with that way. But as a result of that, we know that that could do a lot of damage because that's not really who you are. So when you really have to be amongst people one-on-one -on -one or in person, now you have this this uh, this uh, confusion of who you really are because the things are not in alignment with what you put on social media, but who you are in person. Um, Asia, what about for celebrities? Because is there a pressure even on established celebrities who did not grow up with social media? Because some of them, it seems, even with really big names, they, they post once in a while when they have a project coming out, a film or a, or a new TV series or something like that. And then, you know, or they're with their dog or they're with their family or on vacation or something. And then there's other ones like Keanu Reeves, who is just apparently 
do it. It's it become the John Wick of YouTube, you know, YouTube shorts with like the pajamas and all the stuff done basically in like one or two rooms. And then, and then, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, every single, you know, every single shot. It's like, how, how are celebrities handling this? Can they get away with not doing it being on all the time? You know, celebrities, uh, we've seen social media birth careers for a number of celebrities. I'm thinking of uh, Cardi B in particular. Um, we can also say Ice Spice. We can say a number of people have used social media to their advantage to become celebrities. But once you do that, that's where now we're expecting to hear from you. And not only are we expecting to hear from you, but we as a society almost feel like we have a right to now your personal life because as a celebrity, you've shown us your bedroom. You've shown us how you you know prepare your kids' meals. You show us you in your pajamas. So it is hard. Once you open that can of worms, even for a celebrity, it's hard to kind of dial back and I know that sometimes when things happen in people's lives, they always say we request privacy at this moment. But society is almost like, well, what do you mean privacy? Like, there's no privacy. It's us. You know, you have a certain level of familiarity with these celebrities because social media is so important. And again, it's birth careers. It's revived careers. It's put people who no one was thinking about in leading roles because Twitter said we should put such and such in this movie or such and such on this reboot. And boom, voila, it happens. So at this moment, social media is true king. But just to your point, Lisa, about whether or not social media is making us dumb, I don't want to just bag on it completely. Like, I learned a lot from social media. Absolutely. And I know we're not. We're having a very fluid and open conversation. So I'm, I'm agreeing with you all when we say, like, social media has been a benefit. I know that especially during COVID, that's all we had, honestly, and that's not news. We all just literally sat there and scrolled and posted and waited for somebody else to say or do something exciting. And that really built us up to where we are now. Um, but definitely social media has been a, a tool. It's a benefit. Um, it, you know, dictates how you dress and, oh, I got to get this from Amazon. Oh, I got to get this from such and such. I got to get this makeup because, you know, Beyonce wore, you know, right. all that. So there are some good parts of the influence that we're all under. Uh, we just have to use some responsibility and exercise some, you know, couth when it comes to what we do. And to that, and to that, um, and to your point, um, Marcus, in terms of the social media as a tool for selling products, I mean, there's some things they're like going, oh, these eyelashes will stay on in a tornado or a hurricane. <laughs> I mean, I want to see what it, you know, I want to see what it is, or this, this makeup will give you this flawless look for 24 hours in a, rainstorm and New York humidity. But I mean, what about in terms of selling, how how effective has it been in terms of selling products? Because it, it seems there's just so many things for sale now, even when you try to avoid them. It's been tremendous. I mean, beyond the fact that it's just, it's another media real estate to populate with messaging, with marketing communications, but more importantly, you've been able to leverage the credence of my people. You know, to, to Asia's point, like what we see here is that we get, it's the social intelligence that comes from social networking platforms, right? I may have Verizon and I want to, I'm thinking about switching to AT&T. Anybody out there with AT&T, what's your experience been like? And hearing from other people that we trust, mind you, when they give us their experiences beyond what the marketing communication is from brands, we tend to trust it more from people. And these 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 technologies provide that level of, of, of intelligence for us, which is unbelievably powerful. I mean, think about like early brands like Tupperware. Tupperware was started by people throwing Tupperware parties, right? It started as a social product that right. was sold by our people. And every movie you've watched, every television show you've watched, 
it, it's not because of the ad convinced you. The ad may have gotten your attention, but it's people who everyone's talking about succession. Everyone's talking about uh, uh, Yellowstone. Everyone's talking about ATL that you go, I guess I'd be watching because everyone's doing it. And that's what's influencing. You want to be able to participate. Part that's right. That's right. You want to be a part of the culture. Randy, what, what about what about that? Does that help? It's absolutely right. Because when I think about mental health, look at how much we've gained and learned about mental health, mental health education through social media. We're talking about trying to decrease the stigma and shame so more people understand what mental health is. They can go out and, and understand that they can help themselves. Healing is something available to them. So we have all this knowledge and information. But this is the thing, Lisa. When you have so much information thrown at you, sometimes you have to be careful with that because there has to be a level of wisdom and understanding that has to go with that knowledge. And this is the part that sometimes people miss. When we're talking about mental health, there's true diagnoses. There's actually people need to get help sometimes. And that doesn't come in the form of just logging on to Instagram. We actually need people to tap in with therapists, tap in with counselors, but they feel like because, listen, it's all over social media. It's not that big deal. So sometimes it can water things down a little bit while we're learning it. So again, with social media comes a lot of responsibility as well. So as, as long as we keep educating people in this type of spaces like we're doing today, I think we'll be fine. But we just can't rely on social media alone to, to do that work. No, absolutely. And in terms of social media, Asia, the, the future of it, do you do you think it's going to continue to be as big a part of our lives as it is now? Absolutely. This is a giant that's going to continue to grow. This Goliath is not going to be knocked out by a rock anytime soon. We are addicted, unfortunately, to social media. Um, even young kids, you know, at three, most I was playing with a Barbie. You hand a three year old a phone. She has her own YouTube channel. She's now, you know, baking and, and, and doing nails like she, you know, the, a three year old today can literally run her own social media. That's how much it's ingrained in our DNA. So I don't know that it can ever go away, nor that it needs to. We just might need to, um, again, exercise some restraint and really set some ground rules as to what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and stop glorifying things that are literally clickbait, cloutbait. You know, we can't always fall for it because we're letting these very catastrophic, chaotic things go viral. And that says to other people, then, well, I need to do that or something like that or something even more egregious than that in order to have that fame. So we just have to be a little bit more thoughtful about everything we say and do online. No, absolutely. And Marcus, in terms of the, are people being programmed to the screen? And I'm asking you this question because I was at an event, a community event, and the, the group, it was a group of, of students about 12 years, 11 and 12 year old middle schoolers. And I had my, I had my phone up like this and I was live streaming it on Instagram. And then they were literally five feet away from what was actually going on. Instead of watching what was going on, they were all crowding around me and watching it on my phone. So what does that do in terms of learning, in terms of our, our sense of reality? So um, there's a great book called The Society of the Spectacle. And it's that when we see the world through representation as opposed to experience. And now while that is a condemnation on our, our proclivity to consume at a great clip, one would argue that while you're live streaming it, they're experiencing a meta experience with you. So while it may seem like, oh, put your phones away, the performance is on stage, 
Well, they're experiencing the performance through a media. And that's actually quite important also. You know, we think that like, because everyone has their phones out, they're not experiencing life. Well, if you look at photos from from decades ago, everyone's reading the newspaper, waiting on right. the train to come. It's like, that's just their means of media consumption. The challenge, however, much like all technology, is that the expansion of it has created more connections, not just I'm watching a thing, but I'm talking to someone, I'm listening to a thing, I'm I'm uh, taking notes. We, we do these multiple behaviors on a, on a particular technology that it, that it fragments what it means and how it serves us. So while it's quick for us to put a pejorative against it and say, oh, these kids aren't paying attention, they're, they're like, well, no, they're, they're actually active in the things that matter most to them. I and these things may be meta in nature, but they're still meaningful for them. I, and, and I found I found I found it fascinating. I found it fascinating. Uh, Randy, last, final final word. What what advice do you have for 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 people who feel like they, they every time they look at social media it makes them feel bad, and also how we can use it to be good to to support people? I would say this: know who you are first and foremost in real life. So therefore, I get to know who I am. I love myself. I understand my value, my worth. So therefore, I don't have to allow social media to identify or define who I am. Yes, I can get information from social media. I can learn. I can have fun. I can have a good time. I can have connections. But the most important connection I need to have is the one I have with myself offline. And if I'm able to do that, then the things I consume, I can be a better critical consumer of those things, whether that's messages, music, photos, pictures, because at the end of the day, I'm I'm sure who I am. So I don't have to worry too much about those images and that information taking me to a place outside of my who I'm who I'm everything coming in. That that's gonna have to be our final word. I want to thank you all for being with us uh, for this episode of Speed Soldiers, Asia Grace, Dr. Marcus Collins, Dr. Randy Scaniers, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Remember, use your mind as your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.